You are a beautiful church. Like it was, it was beautiful to worship together. It was beautiful to pray together. It was beautiful seeing some people really smashing those moves um, in the dancing. Just, I love it when everyone's dancing and so the people that look like the outsiders are the ones that aren't. That's when you know we're going in a good direction. Um, we're uh, we're going to be today in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, from 22 to 30, I'm going to read the passage of Scripture, um, and then we're going to look at it, and we're continuing in our um, series looking at the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Uh, uh, Christians talk about it all the time, kingdom culture, kingdom work, kingdom ministry. What do we mean? Um, and this is what we've been looking at this term, and we'll continue to do so still for some weeks. And um, we've been particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, because Matthew talks about the kingdom of God a lot. It's a key theme of Jesus's ministry and teaching, and it's, so it's a really important thing for us to understand. What does it mean to be people who uh, live in the good of the kingdom of God? And um, so today's passage takes us really a little bit further and starts to look at what does it look like to be those who are extending the kingdom of God? What does it look like to be those that are um, actually starting to touch what we might call the clash of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And what does it look like when they start to bump into each other and smash into each other, which again was a big part of Jesus's life and ministry. And we're going to do it in this passage. So Matthew 12 and 22, let's read the word of God. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's our key verse. If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Um, apologies for preaching from a laptop this week. I've, just, I've been traveling. I've just got back. Uh, I was in the part of the world that we've just been praying for. We had our New Frontiers Global Conference. So as a church, we're part of a big international family of churches from literally all over the world. And um, we were together hearing updates and stories, uh, hearing people share about persecution and imprisonment hearing people share about incredible revival and breakthrough. And just like in a local church, there's always uh, people that are in a really good place and people that are having a really tough time. You know, rejoice with those who rejoice, 
and um, mourn with those who mourn. It's true in a global family as well. And so we, we've got uh, churches in our family around the world who are absolutely flying, who are living in what they would call revival, you know, just seeing church after church after church started and seeing life after life after life transformed, seeing the hungry fed. Uh, we've got people who are teaching their governments how to feed the hungry better. We've got people with enormous influence in their nations. And then we've got people that are really struggling where many of their leaders have been put in prison or thrown out of the country, um, where there's you know, persecution and pressure. And so it's just, it's, it's, what was I saying? That's why I haven't got any notes today <laughs> on paper because I've been sitting on an airplane, but you don't mind that, do you? I, basically, I'm not trying to flex, oh, look at me, I've got technology, I just, just so you know. And those that appreciate the environment and keys, trees not being cut down probably prefer it. So there you go. Um, we are uh, looking at the idea of the kingdom of God. And uh, we've said that the kingdom of God is the dynamic reign of God breaking in through the person of Jesus. If the king is here, then with him he brings the kingdom. And that it's the presence of the future that the king has stepped into the world, into history and seen where things are broken and messed up and full of pain and injustice, he's gone, right, let's fix this. And he begins to build and to change things and to transform. And one day, everything will be done and everything will be, there will be no more. Can you imagine no more pain? Can you imagine having every tear on our planet wiped away? Can you imagine no more hunger, no more poverty, no more injustice. Can you imagine a world like that? That's what he is building. And he started at its first coming, and he continues to do it through his people, the church. That's why we exist. That's why we're in the room. That's what we're here for, to keep transforming the world through our tiny little worm-like bodies, right? And then one day, Christ will come again, and everything will be done. And we live in between those moments, and we're moving forwards and that's what we are doing. And understanding the kingdom of God recognizes, therefore, that it's not just the individual salvation. It's not just, I forgive your sins so you can go to heaven, and I forgive your sins. So you, There's so much more going on in Christianity than that. It's a recognition that there is a systemic brokenness, that there is so much evil in the world that things need transforming. And that's why when you give your life to Jesus, you don't just go, straight up into heaven. And it's why the church isn't just like an airport waiting room where, okay, you've got your ticket to heaven and now we're just sitting around waiting until they call your name and you die and then you can go to heaven. You know, that's why your job matters. It's why your career matters. It's why the space that you're in with your life, it's why your neighborhood matters. It's why your family matters because those are the places that you work out the kingdom of God. Yeah, Sunday Meetings are great fun, and you're beautiful people, but it's the tiniest thing of what we do, right? Most of our time, most of our energy, most of our kingdom activity is not in this room. It's out doing our stuff, doing, being the people of the king in the places that he's called us to be. Amen? Um, you know, you, you, footballers get this. Footballers, you know, when, so often when they score a goal... What do they do? It's like, whoa, yes, hallelujah. It's all took, you know, they sort of, footballers always celebrate by pointing up to heaven and going, 
I, I don't know what they're really doing. I kind of they're going, my, my skill in playing football came from you, oh God, you know, appears. But imagine hairdressers did that. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yes, hallelujah, what a great haircut, look at that. You know, imagine school teachers did that, smashed it today, taught some kids third grade maths, hallelujah, glory to Jesus. You know, but that's the kingdom of God, right? Everything that we do, everything that you do, it's for the king. And um, I told you I didn't write any notes. Right. (laughs) Here's our story. So a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. So what's wrong with this man is not just a human brokenness. We're told very clearly that there's a a demonic activity in his life. Now, uh, the Greek word is just demonized, so demon-affected, demon-impacted. Some of the old translations that talk about demon possession possessed by a demon, that is actually never something that's in the Bible. You know, the the kind of the stereotype of the exorcist and someone who's totally demon-possessed and they need delivering. You know, those kind of tropes, that kind of idea is not actually a biblical one. And it's it's quite important to understand that because um, evil is more subtle than that. Evil is more subtle than that. Um, It masks itself as human problems. It masked itself as natural problems. Um, If we knew that things were blatantly demonic, it would make opposing them so much more easy sometimes. The issue is always the mixedness of the human and the demonic. Um, And in some cases, it can be very strong in a person's life, or in a situation, or in a narrative, or in some politics. It can be very strong and very blatant, but the issue is actually the mixedness. And so we see that with this guy. He's called demon-oppressed, or demonized, and it, it, it affects his body, so he can't see and he can't speak. Um, think about politics. Think about Nazi Germany, the Third Reich, Hitler. We look back in history and we go, well, that was obviously demonic like genocide, killing millions of people just because of their ethnicity. Like, the, the, the scale of it, the brutality, we look back and we go, that was obviously demonic. But at the time, the people that were living in Germany, for the most part, were just going, this is the narrative. It's a narrative of national power and strength. It's, a, it's, it's rhetoric, it's politics, it's a charismatic leader. Do you understand? And so sometimes when you're in something, you don't understand because of the mixedness of it. And this, in the translation that we read, where it takes demonized as demon-oppressed, what that does is it shows that there's something here that is looking to control a certain aspect of this guy's life. For him, it's his ability to see and his ability to speak. And, and so it speaks of actually things that are outside of your control. So if there's a habit that is outside your control, you have tried and tried and tried to stop, and you can't stop, then... You need Jesus to set you free. If there's an addiction that is outside of your control, and it happens, right? And you think, I would like to stop. I've tried stopping. I made my New Year's resolution. I got as far as February the 3rd, you know. Um, If there's things outside of you, if there are behaviors that are outside of your control, if there's anger in your life that you just can't stop, if there's... uh, 
those thoughts of worthlessness and hopelessness in your life that you just can't win against, then you need Jesus to set you free. And so this man, we're told, is demonized, demon-oppressed, and as a result, he's blind and mute, and Jesus heals him. And um, later in the passage, we're told he drives out the demon, or he casts out the demon, and this guy is healed. And as a result, he begins to see. He couldn't see. He begins to see. He couldn't speak, and he begins to talk. Can you imagine for this guy? And um, the healing is only briefly described. It's only really quickly described. There's this man. Jesus healed him, and he began to see and talk. Because in this story, the focus isn't actually on the healing. The focus is on the discussion afterwards and the teaching that comes, as we're going to see. And so definitely, yes, read this as a personal miracle of healing. There's a man... He had a problem in his body, and Jesus healed him. And we believe in that in our church, and we do that. And if you have a problem in your body today, whatever it is, we would like to pray for you today that Jesus would heal you. That's kind of basic Christianity. Jesus is a healer. Amen? And we would love, and maybe you've been prayed for before and it didn't happen, but there's a lot of faith in the room today. So let's pray for you today that Jesus would heal your body. Okay? So we're going to do that today. But also in this story, we can read beyond just the physical healing and read it because sometimes people are blind in that you just say, that person just cannot see what is good for them. And sometimes people are mute because they're not speaking up about issues that they should be speaking up about. And we would say that is also part of how the demonic works in people's lives and in our world. Some people are blind. There are many kinds of blindness. People can be blindly trapped in bad relationships. And everyone around them looks at it and goes, can't you see that relationship is bad for you? But the person can't see it. Sometimes people are trapped in bad habits or destructive cycles in their life. You sometimes see this with things like gambling and you say, can't you see that that's destructive in your life? So there's all kinds of blindness. Or sometimes there's someone in your life that you're sharing the gospel with and you're praying for. And God's actually doing wonderful things. And, but for some reason, they just don't. It's like, come on, man. Believe, can't you see? That's just, believe for goodness sake. And you're like, the guy's blind. Have you ever come across that? It's just a blindness. Husbands, give me a wave if you're a husband. Selfishness can be a form of blindness. <laughs> I go work, I come home, I eat my food, I watch my TV, I go to bed. I, there's nothing outside of my routine. There's nothing outside of my labor. I'm doing it on behalf of my family. I'm the breadwinner. But there's a, there's a blindness sometimes to what's really going on in the people that you love. Your rat race routine can be a form of blindness. It traps you. 
I know it's hard, like working, earning enough to live, cost of living. It's tough, man. But don't, don't become blind. Don't become so trapped into your thing. Prejudice and racism are a form of blindness. You don't see the other person. You just see the stereotype or the problem. You don't see them. There are so many forms of blindness. And Jesus wants to set people free. Amen? Also, some people are mute. There are many kinds of muteness. Something terrible happened to you, but you can't speak about it. You won't speak about it. You know, the the research shows the, the length of gap between something like a sexual abuse or a rape and the person actually reporting it to the police because it takes such a long time to be able to speak about these things. That's what happened in the Me Too movement. Suddenly, there were so many women across the world that got courage from each other to start to speak up about things that before they'd been mute about. It's a, it, there's an oppressive, there's a demonic um, silencing that happens. Do you understand? Um, it also happens in genocide or national trauma survivors. So after the Holocaust or the Armenian genocide or partition between India and uh, Pakistan, the first generation didn't speak about it at all. Second generation just got on with life, and it's been the third generation since these national traumas that start to talk about them and are interviewing their grandparents and saying, Grandma, you lived through such horrible things, but you've never talked about it. Um, There's a silencing, there's a muteness that happens. It's true with justice issues. Sometimes you see something wrong, right, in your workplace or in the space that you're at, but you just don't speak up. You don't speak for so many reasons. There can be fear. There can be sensing that you'll be misunderstood. You might lose your job. You might lose respect. Or you've tried talking about it and no one believed you and no one listened. And so with time, you just become silent. You, your mouth just dries up and you stop talking. Silence is the devil's great strategy for maintaining the status quo. You don't talk about it, nothing changes. Speaking about things is an expression of the freedom that Jesus brings. He looses this guy's tongue, and the guy starts to talk. It can be messy and overwhelming. Talking about things, raising things, sometimes makes them worse before they get better. It's incredibly vulnerable, and you might get into trouble, but it's the only way that things change. Think about totalitarian regimes and how they throw all the press in prison and silence all opposition, and we only have people talk who agree with the national narrative. That's the idea here. There are things that need saying. I wonder, do you feel silenced at all in any spaces that you're in? Jesus wants to set you free. And as Jesus sets this individual free, so he is initiating a clash of kingdoms. The kingdom of God is starting to smash into and invade the space of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of blindness and muteness, the kingdom of oppression. And so what happens is that as Jesus touches this person and heals him, there is going to be a kickback. There's going to be response. There's going to be opposition that comes back Jesus's way. And because remember, the kingdom of God advances and is displayed not just through the air. You don't just pray your kingdom come and something wonderful happens. It, come, it advances through people. 
And it's the same, actually, darkness is pushed back in the lives of individuals. We always see that with Jesus. He never comes into a place and binds the spirit of that place or something. He comes into a place and he confronts darkness in an individual, in a person's life. And when he's doing that, he's impacting the the systemic issue that's there. The, 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 The evil in that person is connected to the evil in that geography or in that society or in that community. And so there's always a response, there's always a kickback, there's always a a coming back at him. And so what you've got is you've got a clash of two kingdoms. You've got the kingdom of God, if you like, it's, it's invisible, it's powerful, it's full of authority and goodness. But people can't see that, but they can see an individual who lives in the kingdom of God. They can see Joe. Yeah, they can see Fran. And so they can't see God, but they can see you. And you are embodying, you're representing, you're, you're advancing the kingdom of God. In the other corner, you've got the kingdom of darkness. It's invisible, but it's powerful. You can't see it, but you can see people that represent everything that is dark and horrible that's working in their lives. And so the clash between kingdoms doesn't happen up in the sky somewhere. It happens, actually, in the lives of people. And that's what we see here in this story. There's a similar idea in um, Acts chapter 16, where the, uh, the apostles come to Philippi and they see a slave girl who is owned by people for her ability to demonically tell fortunes. So we're told she's got a spirit. And what they do is they deliver her of the spirit so the demon comes out of her. What happens then is that the whole city turns on them because what they've done in this individual is they've impacted something that was kind of wrapped around the whole of society. And so suddenly there's riots in the streets and people attack them and beat them and strip them and they get sent to prison because this woman is, is representing a kind of a darkness that is controlling her and that's behind her. And so we need to remember, friends, that the work of the devil is never just individual, it's always systemic. And it's never just systemic, it's always individual. And so Jesus does this, and all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? See, son of David, David was a conqueror king. David smashed Goliath. David founded a kingdom. David was a king who conquered and took ground and established a kingdom. So when they say son of David, they're thinking, can this be someone like that? We see him coming with power. We see him establishing something. We see him driving out what's evil. You know, could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So this is a proper insult. You've got Jesus, who's come from God, And they call him Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub means the Lord of Dung, the Lord of Pooh. And it's it's from it you get this idea of the Lord of the Flies, which there's kind of a novel in our culture and stuff because there's flies live around Pooh. But the idea is they're going. We're just going to kind of call you the worst thing we can call you, the darkest, most. This is Jesus, 
and they are slandering him. He's come to destroy the works of the evil one, and the evil one doesn't like it, so the evil one calls him evil. And do you get the strategy of the enemy? So often he calls what is good bad, and he calls what is bad good. And don't miss the connection between the demonized man getting healed, and then suddenly the the religious elite in that culture are hitting back at Jesus, because it's connected. And this whole chapter, actually, chapter 12 of Matthew, the whole chapter is about Jesus bringing freedom in different ways, and about the religious elite attacking him as a result. So Jesus is saying, you know, you can be free in this issue, you can be free in this issue, there's a deliverance here, and the religious elite attack him, they get angry, they decide to kill him, Uh, and Jesus calls them in verse 34, a brood of vipers. In other words, he calls them sons of the snake. He's the son of David, they've called him a son of dung, and he calls them sons of the snake. In other words, you guys are evil. And so there's so much more going on in this story than just a healing and then a bit of teaching. You've got a clash of kingdoms. And so knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? So Jesus here, he makes the point that it doesn't make any sense for demons to attack demons. And he's going to make it clear there are two kingdoms. So he, he says here, if Satan casts out Satan, how then will his kingdom stand? So Jesus here teaches for the first time in Matthew, Satan has a kingdom too. Satan means the accuser. The other name for him in the Bible is the devil, which means the deceiver. Both of these are to do with speaking, accusing, deceiving. They're both to do with lies and trickery. And so the whole issue here is always unmasking lies, exposing false narratives. And Jesus here speaks of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Both express themselves through people. One is oppressive, the other is liberative. One makes people blind, the other one makes people see. One makes people mute, the other one releases people to speak. One hurts people, the other one heals people. One accuses, the other announces. And one is advancing, the kingdom of Jesus is advancing. One is being invaded, being supplanted. And then he says this, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And um, the you is plural, so upon your community, upon this space. And we have this wonderful verse. It's one of Jesus' little one-liners that pops, pops up in other Gospels as well. And it's actually Trinitarian. God is one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And here, Jesus, the Son of God, says, If I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, then the kingdom of my Father God has come upon you. And so he's ushering in the kingdom of the Father. And so, if there are two kingdoms, are they equal and opposite? Is it yin and yang? Is the universe in balance because of light and darkness, good and evil? Hell no, right? 
Because in the one corner, you've got the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And in the other corner, you've got Satan, who's a created being who has a beginning and has an end, has a destruction that is told about in the Scripture at the cross. And so there's no, e- there's no equal battle here. There's no dualism. You've got the power of the one coming and the other one just backing up and backing up. And then Jesus says this, How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. And here Jesus is speaking of the cross. He's speaking of the center of our faith. And he explains it like this. Someone enters a strong man's house to plunder his goods, and he does it by binding the strong man. Jesus has entered the world where there's this strong man, the devil, Satan, who's ruling things. He has a kingdom. Jesus has entered. He's come to plunder the strong man, to rescue those who were oppressed by him, to save, to deliver, to free And to do that, first of all, he needs to bind the strong man, which he does at the cross. And at the cross, the devil, Satan, the strong man, is totally disempowered, disarmed, destroyed, destructed, overwhelmed. It's like if you're playing chess, the most important piece in chess is what? The queen, the queen can do everything, right? If I'm playing chess against Sujit and I take his queen, it's only a matter of time. I wouldn't, he's good at chess. It's only a matter of time before I'm going to clear everything else up. The battle's won. If I take your queen, it's done. It's only a matter of time before I clear everything else up and win. And um, Or in the David and Goliath story, David kills Goliath, he's their champion. It's only a matter of time before they clean everything else up. And in the same way, Jesus at the cross destroys Satan. It's only a matter of time before all the remaining darkness and lies and deception are swept up. They will be swept up. It will end. There was one early church father who described it like this. I don't know whether you agree or not. I don't know whether I agree or not, but it's a helpful picture. He said, Satan is like a crocodile, and um, Jesus was like the bait The flesh of Jesus was kind of given, and the crocodile said, yes, please, and death swallowed Christ. But what he didn't realize was inside the bait, there was the hook of God, which was the power of the resurrection. And so the the devil took the bait, killed Jesus, but inside there's the power of resurrection, which actually kills the devil. Take it or leave it. And so Jesus finally says, whoever is not with me is against me. In other words, he says clearly here there are two kingdoms at work. There isn't neutral ground. You're either with me or you're against me. So to recap, and then we're going to spend some time worshiping and we're going to pray for some people. In this passage, it's very clear Jesus sets this individual free. And he wants to set individuals free. And the kingdom of God primarily advances by working in individual lives. 
And it may be in your life that you need healing in your body like this guy. We want to pray for you today. And as you receive healing, that's an expression of the kingdom of God come upon you. It may be in your life that you have some element of oppression. We read here, demon oppressed. What that means is, and it's not, it's not, it's not unusual. Most Christians I know have had something like this in their life because we're coming out of a lifetime and a history in generational darkness. It's not unusual that there are still things that we need delivering from. Does that make sense? I've been through this. I've received deliverance and healing for different issues in my life. If there's an area in your life that feels outside of your control, an addiction you cannot break, a pattern of behavior or sin that you cannot get on top of with the best will in the world, then let us pray for you that the power of God might come to you, that the kingdom of God might be demonstrated in your life. Amen? In particular... Because in this story, there's the guy that was blind. If there are things in your life that even as I'm speaking, you think, wow, maybe that's an area of blindness in my life. We would like to pray for you. Can the musicians come, please? We would like to pray for you that the blindfold might be released and you might see. And in particular, on the blindness one, it could be many things, but in particular, we would like to pray for you to have your eyes opened to the fact that God is about a great purpose. And so often we can get blindly blinkered into our little lives with our stuff and our routine. And, and God wants to deliver you. Now look at me. God wants to deliver you so that you can see that he's about a great purpose, that there's a kingdom at work here, that your job isn't just a money-making thing, but it's an opportunity for you to demonstrate the kingdom of God in your workspace, to open your eyes to your neighbors, to open your eyes to the people that live around you, to open your eyes to the poor and to the vulnerable and the needy in your community and to see how you can serve and how you can have an impact, to open your eyes to the fact that there is so much more to life. Amen? And for some of us, God wants to take the muteness away. There are some here who have not been able to speak, maybe about a deeply personal traumatic thing, and you've, just, you've never told anyone. I only recently realized, and I'm like in my 40s, I only recently realized that I was sexually abused when I was much, much younger. I don't understand why I never realized. I just didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't see that it had happened. Like I knew it, it was in my memory, but I'd never framed it as abuse. I just didn't see it. Do you understand? And, and the Spirit of God is wanting to do things like that in us, not just today, but in this season that we're in, this season of prayer, this season of being open to the power of God.